premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible, as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Ruciello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey folks, good evening and welcome to another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is a special Thursday night edition of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. And this is Joe Ruciello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God, the King James Bible. And you know, folks, my prayer for you today is the same as it is every day, and that is that wherever you are, whenever you are, and of course, on whatever platform it is you find yourself listening to this on, that you also find yourself in the grace and in the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So a Thursday night edition of the Sword of the Spirit podcast, I'm telling you, I'm excited about this, and I'm going to tell you how this came about, because I can do that. We have three hours of airtime. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to be on that long. Um, Maybe. We'll see. Uh, so how this came about. So uh, a couple of nights ago, I was uh, preparing a study for what we're going to be getting into tonight. And um, did you ever just have an impression that you, you, you know that the Lord put on you? And um, well, that happened to me the, the other night. And as I was working on this particular series uh, of studies, well, I just got this impression, hey, you need to do this on a Thursday night. You need to do this on a Thursday night. And I said, okay. And so here we are. So this is our uh, first Thursday night study. And um, I'm really excited about getting into it. But before we do that, just a couple of things to do as far as housekeeping goes. Uh, I'm just going to ask you three things tonight. First of all, pray for me as we're doing this because, you know, you're doing this live. You don't know who's listening. Um, and there's no opportunity to go back and fix the mistakes. So pray for me. Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, I'm going to ask you to go over and visit our website, sort of the spirit podcast.com. And of course, when you get over there, just look for that contact section and send us off a message. Um, if you don't want to use the web form, that's fine. You can email me directly at info at sort of the spirit podcast.com. And the third thing I'm going to ask you is that while you're on the website, if you would just look for that support this podcast button, and of course, it's it's only if the Lord leads you to do so, and if these podcasts have been a blessing to you in any way, would you please consider supporting us on a monthly basis? You could set up a monthly contribution for $0.99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. Uh, just pray about it, and if the Lord leads you to do it, I really would be thankful for it. And I would also like to say thank you, of course, to all of our current supporters, uh, those of you who support us prayerfully, those of you who support us financially, and, of course, to every single one of you who tune in faithfully every single week. Thank you so much for doing so. Uh, you don't know what a tremendous blessing it is for me uh, to see the increase in the listenership going up and up and up every single week. So thank you very much. Thank you. Um, how about a commercial? 
Now, if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, would you please consider visiting us over at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? We meet at 664 North Monroe. Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. And our Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. For more information, you can visit the church's Facebook page. Just log into Facebook and search for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. And then, of course, once you're over there, you'll find lots of helpful information, and you'll also find episodes of this podcast. And usually now, when I'm doing this uh, as a regular podcast, at this point, I'll tell you all the platforms that we're on and all that great stuff. But we're on so many platforms right now, it's just going to take too long to get through them all. So uh, you can go over to our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com, to scroll down to the bottom, and you'll see every one of the platforms that we're currently on. And, uh, you know, just wherever you're listening, though, just be sure to like, subscribe, share it with your friends, your family, and your followers, and help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, with that said, uh, how about some announcements? Okay. Well, uh, obviously, we're doing the uh, live show tonight. Uh, We'll be looking to do another live show on Sunday, starting October 1st, October 1st, uh, which is a Saturday at 3 p.m. Central Time. uh, We're going to be doing live interview segments. So being that it's a live interview segment, um, we're not guaranteed to have somebody every single Saturday. So that's uh, I'm going to lead into this with. Uh, I'm going to lead this into the subscription at the bottom of our website. You'll see a, uh, subscription, a subscription box. Got to get some water, a subscription box. You can fill that out. Uh, that'll come to, to me over here and we'll get you on a mailing list. And whenever we're going to be doing a Saturday episode, or if we have any kind of programming changes or announcements, you'll get a a short little email from us uh, just letting you know what's going on. I'm not going to spam you. I'm not going to send you a whole bunch of stuff that you don't need or aren't really interested in, just the programming announcements. So if you're interested in doing that, just go to our website, sortofthespiritpodcast.com. Go all the way down to the bottom. You'll find that form. Just fill it out, and I'll get it, and we'll add you to the list. Um, Also, of course, now if you're listening to us on Spreaker right now, which is, of course, the only place you can at the moment, live anyway, um... You know how to find us. Just click the link on the website. It'll get you there. Uh, We're also adding a uh, Spreaker player to our website, which I did today, so it should be working. Uh, I don't have an ability to check it at the moment, so if somebody out there is listening that knows me, that has my number, you can text me a yes or no. Um, So you'll be able to use that. And uh, and then, of course, we'll still continue to do our regular – uh, podcasts available every Monday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Uh, another announcement for you is, and I may have mentioned this, I don't remember for sure, but um, the Lord's been kind of poking me a little bit about uh, doing another podcast, but not a Bible study podcast. Uh, some of you know, some of you don't know, but I used to do internet radio with some really great friends back in New York. And it was a mostly secular, uh, poking fun at politics, local politics, national state politics, uh, and a whole mess of stuff. We just had a we had a ball with it. It was a lot of fun, 
and uh, I've been kind of getting in the itch to kind of get back into that a little bit. So um, it's funny, too, how I know that this is something that I think the – well, I'm pretty sure the Lord wants me to do it. Uh, the name for the show came came to me right away, and it's going to be called The Mighty Righty Podcast. Uh, I already purchased the domain for it, themightyrighty.com. And uh, that is in development right now. I'm just working on format. Uh, unfortunately, it's just going to be me. Uh, my buddies back in New York aren't uh, available to, to do it with me. But um, they'll be in and out from time to time, which is exciting. I've already spoken to uh, Big JP, who's my partner in crime over there. And uh, he's on board, and I'm thankful for that. So uh, that'll be coming to you starting in November. Lord willing. So we'll see how all that uh, plays out. Now, since this is a, a Thursday evening, uh, we're not going to go through our usual prayer list the way we normally do on a Sunday, which is detailed names and so on and so forth. But uh, I'm just going to highlight a couple of folks on the prayer list that I, we really need to pray for. Um, first and foremost, we want to pray for folks that are in need of salvation. So we have, uh, we have David back in New York who's in need of salvation. I'm going to pray for my mom, uh, my sister, and my granddaughter, uh, all in need of salvation. Uh, we're also going to pray uh, as part of our sick prayer list. Uh, we want to pray, of course, for Bernice, who is uh, uh, a very faithful woman in our church. And uh, those of you who listen in on a regular basis uh, know who she is uh, from my telling you about her. Uh, she's, uh, she's battling cancer. She had a treatment scheduled today. So we were praying that that went well for her. Uh, we're also praying for, uh, Alan who, uh, was diagnosed with, uh, prostate cancer. And, uh, we're also going to be praying for, um, little Tilden who is, uh, finally home with his parents, uh, after dealing with bacterial meningitis. And of course there are others on the sick list. If I don't mention them by name, and if you're listening in, it's not that I forgot, I have it right here in front of me, but we're going to, uh, pray specifically for you guys on Sunday and in my private prayers. Um, and let's see, we want to pray for Robert, uh, Robert's a national guardsman, uh, and a good brother. And I'm, I'm glad to know him. And so we want to lift him up as he's uh, working here in Eagle Pass along the border. And we want to pray for him, for his protection, for his safety, as those his colleagues as well. And uh, for George, who is uh, waiting for word on some contract renewals for his business with the, uh, the city of Eagle Pass over here. And um, also we're going to go to, let's see, oh, the unspoken prayer requests. So if you have any prayer requests... Uh, please feel free to email it to us at info at sort of the spirit podcast.com. That's info at sort of the spirit podcast.com. And we'll make sure we get you on our prayer list. So with that, let's get to the Lord in prayer. Our heavenly father, we want to thank you so much for your love. We want to thank you for your mercy. We want to thank you for the, for the uh, tremendous gift of salvation that you've given us in your precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just lift up these folks to you that are on our prayer list, those that are in need of salvation, those that are sick, that are in need of prayer and, a, and healing and a touch from you, Lord. We also want to pray for those uh, that are serving in the Border Patrol. We want to pray for those in the military, like Brother Robert. Uh, we want to lift them up to you, Lord, and for their protection, for their safety as they perform the duties that you've called them to. 
And Father, we also want to uh, pray for our local elected officials. We want to pray for our federal elected officials. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up folks that have a relationship with you. And Lord, that um, you would give them wisdom as they offer advice and counsel that would come from your word. And Lord, also we want to lift up all the unspoken prayers of our hearts, Lord, that, uh, that we can't give utterance to. Father, we just uh, commit those things to you, and we ask you just to answer those prayers according to your perfect will for us and for our lives, for your glory, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we're going to do here now is uh, we're going to take a short break. I'm going to give you a chance to go get your King James Bible. I'm going to get a cup of coffee or a bottle of water, and then when we come back, we're going to be getting into today's Bible study on... Second Thessalonians. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, this is Joe Rusiello, host of the Sword of the Spirit podcast on Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. All right, folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello. And uh, one thing I forgot to do, and it's my fault because I didn't include it in my prep notes. Uh, so before we get into the study, I just want to touch on this really quickly. Uh, so some time ago, I had mentioned uh, about uh, opening up the emails for you guys to send over questions. Uh, not playing Stump the Preacher or anything like that. 
but just uh, to send any questions over that you might have that might you know either come from the study or just informational questions, you know, something you're just curious about uh, within reason, of course. And um, uh, didn't really get much feedback until the last couple of days, and so I just want to uh, open up the mailbag here for a second and just look at a couple of questions that came through and see if I can give you guys some answers uh, to those questions. Um, one question that I got, and the person asked to remain nameless, uh, this was the question. It's hard to find fellow believers that are genuinely excited and giddy about our blessed hope, our bridegroom coming for us. Why do you think that is? And do you think the church is partly to blame? Please respond when you can on the podcast. I'm sure there are others that have same, the same question. Thank you. And God bless you. Well, um, yeah, I, I do think that the church is partly to blame. And uh, the reason why I think that it's hard to find fellow believers that are like that has to do with the churches, because the churches today uh, really do preach a very watered-down, uh, PC, effeminate, weak gospel. And that's the reason. That's the reason. And um, I had asked uh, uh, my pastor and a, and a couple of other good godly Christian men what they thought about this. And uh, uh, a lot of the consensus here was that most preachers don't want to upset uh, the apple cart, especially when their income is in jeopardy. Um, another one of, the, one of our brothers here uh, really gave me some powerhouse information. <laughs> he was like, uh, let me see. Let me pull up his message here. And I agree with this uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, he wrote, Inasmuch as many preachers are preoccupied with politics, prosperity, and man-centered motivational speaking, I'd say the body of Christ has certainly stupefied itself into a near coma. Amen. Frankly, we are so comfortable here on this planet Earth that we're not eager to leave. If we, if we were getting the, uh, the flying stuff beat out of us every day like our brethren in other countries, we'd be begging our Savior to airmail us out of here. So what's the cure? And this is where I agree a thousand and one percent. Unplug the screens and get back into the book. Amen. Amen, brother. I appreciate that. Great answer. Um, another question that came through. So I hope that answered your question. Uh, if it didn't, just let me know and we'll, we'll come back to it again. But uh, that's the answer. I agree with it. Uh, let's see. Another question that came in. Um, and this is from John. John, John wrote, uh, when and how did you become King James only? Okay, well, I got saved in July of 2000, and uh, I got saved uh, out of a King James Bible. Okay, uh, now prior to that, I've had mostly NIVs and other garbage. Uh, but uh, when I got saved, and that, and that preacher led me to the Lord Jesus Christ out of a King James Bible, I just felt the power of it. Uh, that was one thing. And shortly thereafter, the Holy Spirit just tapped me on the shoulder and said, that's the book you need. So I went and I got a King James Bible, and I haven't put it down since. Now, I... I particularly believe that the King James Bible is God's written, preserved, inspired word for us in the English language in this day. So I know it's a mouthful. Uh, I actually have a, a Bible study on the, uh, on the channel here uh, called Which Bible? 
Uh, I would encourage you that if you haven't listened to it, you should go do that. Um, it was a pretty detailed study. Uh, I left a lot out, but uh, that's basically that. So, so I became King James only after praying about it. And I want to say somewhere probably around 2002, uh, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I had the Word of God in my hand every time I opened up that King James Bible. Um, and, uh, you know, I've asked the Lord many times over the years, you know, uh, you know if, Lord, if this isn't your book, show me. And all he's done is just reinforced it and reinforced it and reinforced it. Uh, and then I do studies and I look at other Bibles and, and I see all the changes and all the differences between those Bibles. And I heard a great quote um, just the other day, and basically that quote was, um, well, you, first of all, you know that there are like over 250 different versions of the Bible on the market today, right? So which one's the right one? You know, and you have people that say, oh, well, they all say the same thing. Well, no, they don't. No, they don't. And I'm actually working on a study for that, and we're going to cover some of those things. We're going to do some verse-by-verse comparisons and show you just how bad those modern versions are. Uh, but this quote really uh, stuck with me, and it was, the only thing all 250-plus versions have in common is that they're all different. Now, think about that. That's profound. That's quite profound. All right, so, John, I hope that answered your question. Uh, again, you could also follow up and uh, shoot me an email and let me know. Uh, next question was from uh, Kathy, I believe it is, Kathy. Uh, do you feel that podcasting, Bible studies are the best medium? Shouldn't you be out street preaching? <laughs> good. Very good question. Yes, I do believe that podcasting Bible studies is a very good medium. It's an excellent medium, uh, just like broadcasting over airwaves is uh, uh, doing uh, radio is is an excellent medium. Why do I say that? I say that because back in 2000, I came to know the Lord because I was listening to someone preaching a message on hell and who's going there. And the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder there and says, you need to uh, reach out to this guy. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't listening to uh, a broadcast over the radio back in New York. So, so yeah, so this medium, whether it's podcasting or, or uh, live um, uh, radio uh, or recorded messages or whatever, what have you, uh, it's very important to me. It's very close to my heart, and I do believe that you can reach a lot more people this way than standing on a street corner now. Having said that, uh, street preaching is extremely important. It's something that every Bible believer ought to do. So uh, uh, if you're not doing it, do it. Get out there and do it. Even if it's just twice a month, once a month, whatever it is, get a load of tracks, go out, find a street corner, and start preaching and handing out tracks. I've done it. I do it from, from time to time uh, when time allows me to do it. Uh, and it's a tremendous blessing, and I, I would encourage you to do it. All right. Well, I'm looking at the clock here, and it's already 25 minutes in. So uh, we have some ground to cover. So I'm not going to answer the rest of the questions that we received just today. So I'll get back to those probably on um, on Sunday. And uh, those are a blessing. What a real blessing. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into Second Thessalonians. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for all that you do for us. 
Father, we just commit this time to you, Lord. Just I pray that you would just give me the ability to uh, convey this message across in this study, in this wonderful book of Second Thessalonians, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, a few weeks ago, we finished up First Thessalonians, so if you haven't listened to that, if you haven't heard that, go back and check it out. Really good stuff. Um, so uh, it would give you a good foundation as we move forward with Second, Second Thessalonians. Sorry, can't speak tonight. All right, so now Second Thessalonians uh, was written just a really short time after First Thessalonians. I mean, obviously, it was the same group of people, and it's written in part to correct some false teaching that had come into the church related to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, some people had come to the misinformed conclusion that, you know, because they were suffering some, some pretty intense persecution, that they were in the midst of the tribulation. Uh, and there have been people over the last 2,000 years that have suffered persecution, but we are not emphasized. We are not in the middle of the tribulation. All right. Uh, I mean, there's things going on in the world around us today that, that you would make you think that, hey, are we in the tribulation? No, we are not in the tribulation. Uh, and if we were, and if we are, then it's been a very, very, very long one. All right. So just because people suffer, and they do suffer, and, and some have suffered greatly. It does not mean that it has some particular dispensational application to it, okay? And so here, Paul is, is just desiring to straighten that out and to help these people with it. All right, now, as you work through the books of First and Second Thessalonians, uh, God gives you the, the whole outline for prophecy from the church age going forward. I mean, that's why I... I, I, I often recommend to new Christians, baby Christians, you know, to start by reading first and second Thessalonians. Now the general axiom has always been, you know, you start with the gospel of John. Hey, look, John's a great book and they absolutely do need to read it. But I think that first and second Thessalonians is far more critical to them to get them on the right track and thinking in terms of the future. And then, you know, and then perhaps go on to John and then Romans. You know, I think but I think that would be a good sequence of books for a brand new Christian to read. First, second Thessalonians, John, then Romans. Now, of course, first Thessalonians chapter four, uh, Paul acquainted these people with, uh, the rapture. Okay. And also in these books, we read about the tribulation. We read about the antichrist, the rise of antichrist, you know, something about his kingdom, something about the tribulation, uh, about the persecution that'll be involved with all of that. And then uh, the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in, in great big, you know, general terminology, you know, sometimes we preachers talk about the second coming of the Lord, but we need to be careful so that folks don't get confused because the second coming of the Lord is actually a two-part event. It's a two-part event. All right. First Thessalonians chapter four is the rapture. This is when the Lord comes, but he doesn't come all the way to the earth. And the Bible says that we're going to meet him in the air, and we call that the rapture. Okay, uh, so what's the rapture? Those are those are uh, those those are those that are saved and born again, and you know, and then that we're going to be evacuated. I mean, that's amazing when you think about it, right? I mean, won't that be amazing? And wouldn't that be a grand evacuation? You know, not like Afghanistan, right? But um, you know what my desire is for you. 
my desire is for you that uh, that you're alive when that trumpet blows. That's my desire for you. It really is. And for myself, of, of course, you know, that, that we're alive when that trumpet blows. Then, of course, the Antichrist is going to rise in power and prestige, and then his kingdom will be advanced onto this world. And then all of that will be consummated with the Lord returning from heaven with his army, which, if you're saved, you'll be a part of it. Then he'll establish his kingdom. There's a seven-year span between the rapture and the revelation, or the second advent. Now, when we say seven years, that's just uh, in, in general conception. You know, the Lord gave himself some leeway there. When he spoke of that, he said, except those days be shortened. So the Lord has the ability to lengthen a thing out or shorten it out. He can do that. You know, didn't he stretch some days out in the Old Testament? He did, right? He did it once for Joshua. He did it once for Hezekiah. So the Lord can do that. You know, the Lord controls the movement of the universe. He controls the movement of the moon and the sun and the stars, you know, the galaxies and the constellations. And he can put the brakes on the whole thing if he wants to. That's really no big deal for the Lord, not at all. God can do anything he wants to do, when he, and when he does something out of the ordinary, it always invites the pundits and the critics, doesn't it? Always. Now, there are people that say that you know, they don't know if they believe in a God or not. You know what they call themselves? They call themselves agnostics. All right, agnostics. And then there are some people that say there is no God. Well, they're atheists, okay? But some people like to take the middle of the road, and they say, well, they're agnostics. You know, they don't know which way to go. Well, I was, when I was studying for this and I was reading some of Dr. Ruckman's materials, uh, he reminded me of something that if I knew it, I had forgotten it. Um, do you know what the Greek equivalent for agnostic is? The Greek equivalent for agnostic is ignoramus. <laughs> Okay, and if you can't if you can't remember ignoramus, just remember dumbbell. All right, so Paul lays out the entire prophetic scheme of things for those baby Christians. But I wonder why. I wonder why. So sometimes we get the notion that that prophecy is deep. It, it's it's advanced. It's it's meat. It's not milk. You know, and people need to really be uh, strong and stabilizing their faith before they get into that. But, you know, evidently that wasn't Paul's opinion. You know, he wanted people to understand right from the get-go that God has a plan. And that plan should not serve as an element of discouragement, but rather encouragement to us as believers. So God has a plan. So be encouraged. Be encouraged about that. Amen? Now, if the upcoming election doesn't go your way, you know, don't drag your lip too low. Just remember that the Lord's got this whole thing figured out. You know, I have no idea what he's thinking, but he's thinking. All right? All right. All right, let's get into the book. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to a church. Most of his letters were written to a local church. You know, some people criticize the notion of a church. You know, one of my jobs is to give you a little ammunition to fire back. Well, I don't believe in a local organized church. Well, I'm sorry you disagree with God. Because they do. Because they do. The church was God's idea. You know, no preacher came up with this thing. God did it. So Paul 
is writing to a local church. Verse 2, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul's very heavy on grace. You read very little about grace in the Old Testament, don't you? And you don't read much about grace in the Gospels either. But when you get to Paul's epistles, he is just heavy on grace, 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 grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Paul had personally experienced grace. He preached grace. He believed in grace. And he was thankful for grace, as you and I should be. For by grace are you saved through faith. Amen? It's grace. You know the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound? So Paul really can't help himself. And he continues to mention it. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So now there are, there are many kinds of grace in the Bible. Many kinds. Grace is one of those things that's delivered to a particular person at a particular time. For example, you have, you have dying grace. All right? You don't need dying grace if you're not dying, right? You know, I, I, I'm sure that you've heard or you've read about you know, some of the great martyrs in church history, how they were just you know, incredibly per, uh, persecuted, incredibly uh, hunted down and tortured for their faith. You know, maybe you wondered in your own mind, man, I don't know if I could do that. I have. I've thought about that. Well, you could with God's grace, but God wouldn't give it to you until you needed it. When you decide to get saved, you experienced grace. You experienced saving grace. God gave you saving grace. So uh, grace is one of those things that's available and it's distributed according to the need. So it's according to the need. And, and Paul talked about the care for the churches and it was a burden to him. And he said, but God gives me grace, grace to deal with the care for the churches. All right. Think about, um, we mentioned, uh, sister Bernice, right? God gives her grace. God gives her family grace to deal with the illness, to deal with the treatments, to deal with, with the side effects, to deal with all the stuff that goes around it. Grace. Grace is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. All right, verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches, of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So these people had been exposed to considerable considerable persecution. They were still young in their faith, you know, uh, adolescent Christians, so to speak. And yet it doesn't take long when you declare Jesus Christ as your Savior and you get public about it to meet up with adversarial circumstances and people. It just kind of just really goes with it. The more public you are about it, the more adversity you'll usually meet. And that was the case with these people. But you know, Paul said this, do you know what's going on? As a result of the persecution you're enduring, your faith is growing and your charity toward one another is growing. One of the great pieces of evidence of growing faith is a growing love for the brethren. 
John said, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. That's first John chapter three. Now the Bible never said you had to like them, right? You don't have to like all the brethren, but you have to love them. Okay. I know it's a, it's a fine hair. I know, but you know, maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, you, you can't rub shoulders in a group of a hundred people on a regular basis without rub, without, you know, a few of them irritating you a little bit, right? I mean, that's just human nature. That's just the way it is. But through God's grace, you can love them anyway. And when that love abounds and it grows, it's a tremendous manifestation of growing faith. So Paul is suggesting to them that these persecutions are actually serving them to their advantage and their spiritual benefit. And he wanted them to consider it that way. You know, he wanted them to think about it. You know, the difficulties that you're facing on a regular basis are really working to your spiritual advantage. Now, human nature doesn't want to think of it that way, of course. That's not something that we want. Oh, yeah, you know, praise God, I'm suffering. I'm suffering along here. And no, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just not our nature. But we have to remember that Paul suffered greatly. I mean, if there's anyone, if there's Anyone who could authoritatively write legitimately and with great credibility about suffering, man, it was the Apostle Paul. He suffered, you know, and he ran out a, a short list of some of those sufferings over in Second, Second Corinthians chapter 12. You know, uh, being capsized and floating around in an ocean for a day and a night, being beaten and stoned and, and all the things and thrown in jail. And, you know, and then the list goes on and on and on and on. Paul suffered. Paul suffered. But when you stop and look at some of the people, you know, as you go through the Bible, right, Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph suffered for years in prison for something he didn't do. Jeremiah was thrown in jail for simply preaching truth. Daniel faced all kinds of adversity. So God uses this, and it's becoming a developing theme as we go through 2 Thessalonians. When we get, when we get down here to verse 6, you know, he kind of flips the coin and shows them the other side of it. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse six, one, one second. Have to wet the pipes there. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse six, seeing it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now that's really just a very nice way of saying, don't worry about it. God will get them. That's all it is. God will get them. Doesn't the Bible say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay? So it's not yours, it's the Lord's. Now, if you want to take care of that, the Lord says, go right ahead. But you can't do the job that he can do. You can't do the job that he can do. You know, there's a principle that's activated within the parameters of what we're talking about called sowing and reaping. You know, Pharaoh ordered the drowning of the babies in Israel. So years later, do you know what God did? He drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. Judas, right? Judas betrayed Jesus to be hanged on a tree. So then Judas was hanged on a tree. You know, you go through your Bible and you read about Haman, right? You read about so many different people, like in the, in the book of Esther. You read about sowing and, and, and reaping, and you read about that whole principle. 
There are always going to be those who will be troubling Christians and Christianity. Uh, I saw an email once some time ago about a man in Georgia. Uh, he was a he was a, a lay preacher. He was a preacher, but he had a government job, and it doesn't really matter what it was. It was just a, a government job. Uh, and then one time, the upper management of that government job got a little concerned about him not being, you know, politically correct like they ought, like they thought he should be. So they demanded that he turn over copies of all his sermon notes and files for them to look over, you know, to make sure that he was being politically correct. Now, I don't know what he did with them, but I wouldn't give them up. You know, it's crazy, some of the things that are happening in this country. So they're putting a lot of pressure on this guy, and they're telling him that, you know, he's not going to keep his government job unless he conforms to everything that they want him to conform to. You know, I heard um, that the teachers union, which is a strong democratic controlled organization from top to bottom, uh, is demanding that teachers call Democrats to get out and vote. You know, there's a lot of things out there that make you angry and get you upset and make you want to, you know, go grab your rifle or something, go to war. I get all that. You know, but the Lord reminds us, he says, hey, you're being persecuted but just don't forget, you know, God is ultimately the one who's going to take recompense. And he can do a whole lot better job than you or I can. All right, verse 7. Verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven and his mighty angels. So what Paul's doing now is he's advancing forward. And he's showing these people that they're not in the great tribulation. You know, the rapture of First Thessalonians chapter 4 hasn't taken place yet. But you need to be mindful of that, uh, and you need to be mindful that all of the misdeeds, all of the, you know, the underhanded deceptions of the evildoers and, and all the strategy of Satan himself will be consummated in one huge act of judgment when the Lord Jesus returns with his mighty angels. All right, verse 8. See, we're moving through. Verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do you obey the gospel? Well, you obey the gospel by receiving the gospel. That's how you obey it. When you, when you get saved or when you got saved, you obeyed the gospel. That's exactly what you did. You obeyed it. You said, okay, Lord, I'm going to believe what you say and I'm going to do what you say. And you obeyed the gospel. So when the Lord returns at the second advent with his mighty angels, and he won't be just with his mighty angels, he's going to be with a great, massive, heavenly army. And, you know, I, I like to fantasize sometimes about that. <laughs> I do. You know, I like to fantasize about what my role in that heavenly army is going to be. You know, I don't even think I'll be a private first class, <laughs> you know, and I'm probably going to be so far back that by the time I get to the front lines, it's all going to be taken care of. You know, but if you stop and think about it, so just think about this, okay? If one angel can take care of 185,000 Assyrians in one night, you know, back in the Old Testament, didn't he? First Kings chapter 18. If you're not familiar with it, you should go read it. It's a great chapter, great story. You know, but if one angel can take care of 185,000 Assyrians in one night, what do you think an army of mighty angels can do. My goodness. My goodness. 
So Paul, without apology, talks about the vengeance of the Lord in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Now, the critics would say, well, that's not a God of love. Well, they obeyed not the gospel. They rejected his love. They turned his love down. They said they didn't want his love. That's exactly what they said. So at the second advent, now, now this isn't a declaration of vengeance on every living being on earth at the second advent. That's not what this is. But it is a declaration of God's vengeance on all of those that have assembled against him and heeded the reign of Antichrist and have gathered around him. So there's going to be, and I'm sure you've heard the term, um, there's going to be a battle, and it's going to be the Battle of Armageddon. All right, so the Battle of Armageddon is followed by Matthew 25. And that's where the whole thing gets sorted out, you know, the sheep and the goat nations. So God's going God's to figure out, you know, who the sheep are and who's the goat. The sheep go into the millennial kingdom, and the goats don't, plain and simple. And that's just the bottom line of it. And isn't it interesting how in our everyday vernacular we still talk about the goats in a negative kind of way? You know, the guy missed a field goal and blew the game. You know, he was the goat. You know, I remember uh, seeing in the sports cartoons in the newspaper back home, you know, showing the guy who missed the big play is the goat. You know, well, where did we get the idea of that in the first place? Well, it came right out of your Bible. It came right out of your Bible. All right, folks, we're going to take a short break here, and uh, when we come back, we'll continue on with verse 9. We'll be right back. I can't help but think about the Lord and all the things he's done. He meets my every need. You know he's been so good to me. And I can't help but praise the Lord for all he's done. For all he's still be many more if i could mention only one i'd have to thank him for his son and that's enough to praise the lord for all he's done for all Try 
love that song. You know, I, I feel like I say that about every single song that I play these days. That is a that's a great song for all he's done by the uh, West Coast Baptist College uh, uh, minist- music ministry team. Uh, great stuff, great stuff for all he's done. Oh, just amazing. Just amazing. All right, folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello, and we are studying 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up again here in verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? change page. The Bible teaches uh, uh, everlasting punishment, okay? And I'll be honest with you, that verse, uh, verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, that's a great verse to show to a Jehovah's Witness because they reject the concept of everlasting punishment. And, you know, so do the Seventh-day Adventists. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, They say that, you know, God wouldn't do that. Well, I don't know how else you can interpret who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Can you interpret it any other way? How about verse 10? When he shall come to be glorified in the saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. You know, the Lord is really, he's really thrilled with those that are willing to believe his word. And he's willing to allow his glory to be processed through them. Do you know what what you're going to be doing in the kingdom? You know, thy kingdom come. You know, you're going to be walking. You're going to be a a walking, living lamp and light as to the glory of God. You know, when people see you walking down Main Street of Jerusalem, there'll be no mistake as to what you are. Now, we've heard people talk about, you know, you know, the bride came down the aisle and there was such a glow on her face. You know, we've all heard that. Uh, maybe in some cases that was true. I don't know. Uh, in other cases, it was, was, it was more like, you know, oh, what have I done? Right? Uh, you know, but, you know, and people use those types of illustrations to say that there was a glow on their face or, or it was this or that, whatever. But, but that thing will be absolutely unmistakable in the millennium, because God is going to demonstrate his power, his glory, his love for his saints in such a visible kind of way that uh, that all those that are still earthly people on this earth in the millennium will immediately identify you as a child of God. They'll know. It'll be absolutely unmistakable. So you might be sitting there asking yourself, well, how's that going to work? I don't have a clue, (laughs) to be honest with you. No idea. But I just know that it's so. Have you ever been, and this is a very subtle thing, actually, but have you ever been in the presence of someone you just met, and for no reason you just thought, I bet they're a Christian? You know how that thing works? Our spirit bears witness with their spirit that we are children of God, Romans 8 says. There's just some kind of a mutual sharing of the spirit that, uh, that, that you just can't quite put your finger on. You can't explain it, but you know it's there. That became very, very real to me and, 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 and very obvious and, uh, when I was preaching away from home. You know, being around people you'd never met before, but, you know, somehow you knew. 
somehow you knew. You know, when I was working as an associate pastor back in New York, our church would frequently visit a men's shelter uh, in Newark, New Jersey, and we would hold services for them. Um, it was the Newark Rescue Mission, if I remember the name correct. And I'll tell you, I remember the first time I went and, uh, you know, I got up on that platform and I looked out at almost 200 men, men that I had never met before or seen since, just sitting there, just looking back at me. You know, I had no idea where they came from or what their circumstances were, you know, or, or what happened that brought them there. I didn't know any of that. But there they are, you know, 200 men sitting there, you know, and, and, and looking out at those 200 people, you know, not knowing anything about them. I didn't know one of them, none of their names. But you could almost tell, almost tell 10 minutes into the whole thing who the Christians were and who they weren't. You just knew. You just knew. Now, if that's the case, in this very limited sphere that we all operate in, what's it going to be like in the kingdom? They'll know. You'll know. They'll know who we are. You won't be able to fade into obscurity in the kingdom, you know. You won't just be another face in the crowd. <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen. You're going to be absolutely identified. Why? Verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. In other words, he's saying to these people, you're going to be launched from a position of persecution to a position of being admired. Wow. I mean, just think about that. That's not so bad, is it? You know, think about what the world admires today and think about who they admire today. You know, what and who the world admires today are some of the worst perverts on the planet. They just are twisted, perverted kind of people. But, you know, that's going to be absolutely reversed in the kingdom. So Paul uses this eschatology, this prophetic information to encourage people that are suffering. Well, if the word of God is eternal, and it's timeless, and it is, then it ought to encourage us too. You know, we may not be suffering individually, but corporately, you know, <laughs> what's going on in this country is killing me. <laughs> Isn't it you? It's just killing me. Corporately, we all feel that. You know, we sense that. You know, it's a, it's a heavy, heavy thing. It's a burdensome thing. You know, knowing the possibilities that are right around the corner if the present government doesn't change come November. You know, I've been thinking about the types of legislations that are going to come down. And if the left keeps the House and the Senate, it's going to be a disaster. I know it's the wrong podcast. Sorry. But when the Lord comes and he taps you on the shoulder and he says, you know, why are you popping so many antacids? You know, you need to think a little bit more about what's down the road when you'll no longer be persecuted. But. You'll be admired. Verse 11. Wherefore, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Well, amen. It's a calling. And it is. It is absolutely a calling. And we're in it whether we like it or not. But, but God, Paul says that his prayer is that you'll be worthy of it. 
The word worthy has nothing to do with salvation, by the way. You know, even though some people like to say that it does, you know, some people like to interpret it that way and say that you have to be worthy to be saved and go to heaven. Who's that worthy? Nobody is. No. Salvation is not dependent upon worthiness. So worthiness here has, has to do with um, rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what this has to do with. That's what worthiness here has to do with. And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the thing kind of breaks down to the three parts. All right. Suffering promotes growth. Suffering prepares us for the future. Suffering glorifies Christ today. Now, here's a great illustration, and I'm just going to read this to you, okay? So forgive me. A little water. All right. <clears throat> Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson, the renowned missionary to Burma, entered untold hardships trying to reach the lost for Christ. For seven heartbreaking years, he suffered hunger and privation. During this time, he was thrown into Ava prison for 17 months and was subjected to incredible mistreatment. As a result, for the rest of his life, he carried the ugly marks made by the chains and iron shackles that cruelly bound him. Upon his release, he asked for permission to enter another province where he might continue preaching the gospel. The godless ruler indignantly denied his request, saying, quote, my people are not fools enough to listen to anything a missionary might say, but I fear they may be impressed by your scars and turn to your religion. You know, if you've never studied the life of Adoniram Judson, that's a worthy study. That's an incredibly good study. Talk about a missionary, a pioneer missionary of yesteryear. And you know what? That ruler said it right. He said, I'm afraid they'll be impressed by your scars. You know, sometimes the Lord uses scars. Do you think that even though he was suffering during that time, and he suffered, no question about it, but do you think that a thousand years from now, Adoniram Judson will care about his scars? He doesn't care about them today, and he's been in heaven a long time. But what he does care about is every soul that's persuaded to come to Christ. And if his suffering aided and abetted that in any way, then he said, so be it. Now, in the usual sense of suffering, honestly and frankly, we don't do a lot of that in America. You know, our fellow believers in other places suffer greatly, like, like, uh, like I read from that message this, uh, earlier at the start of the study. Our fellow believers suffer tremendously in other places. You know, some have lost their lives because of the name of, because of just of the name Christian. We don't have that opportunity here in America, if I can use that word, you know, to, to, to suffer even as these Thessalonians did. But the Lord allows you to suffer if you want to. Well, you might be saying, well, who wants to, right? Well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Back up a second. Back up. If we suffer, 
we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Will deny us what? In the context, rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, prayer, prayer can be an adventure of suffering. Jesus prayed so diligently in Gethsemane that he literally perspired blood. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, you know, the Bible uses the word agony to describe it. Luke chapter 22, verse 44 says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Did you know that that is the only time in the entire Bible, all 66 books, that the word agony is used? The only time, once out of all of it, I would call that suffering, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Now, you and I will probably never pray that diligently that, that we will, in fact, you know, perspire blood. But prayer can be identified as an avenue of suffering. Do you know how I know that? And I know you know it, too. Anytime you enter into your prayer closet... You enter into the real war room, the real war room. And you know that Satan and his minions are close by. And I'll tell you how you know it. I'll tell you how you know, because it's the hardest time of your life to concentrate, isn't it? You know there's something going on. You know you're surrounded by evil spirits because your concentration level goes, honestly, all to pieces. It's like, I'm praying, I'm praying, then whew, Oh, I got to do this tomorrow. What am I doing? Okay. I'm praying. I'm praying. Lord, forgive me. And I got to do this later today. Oh, what am I doing? I got to get back. I'm praying. I'm praying. Man, I wonder if there's any more of that ice cream from last night. So do you get what I'm saying to you? It's tough duty. It's tough. It just is. That's why there's an advantage when the Bible says where two or three are gathered together, you know, pray and praying out loud Praying out loud helps you stay on track. Did you ever notice that? That's an avenue of suffering. That's an avenue of suffering. Okay, so now in the book of Hebrews, right? The book of Hebrews indicates that another way that we can suffer is being identified as being outside the camp. So in other words, when people know we're Christian and we're very open about our Christianity, you'll be subjected to criticism, whether overt or covert. And God says, that's good. You ought to be identified in your community as one of those, you know, weirdo Christians. They believe the Bible. <gasps> My goodness. <laughs> so there are opportunities and ways for the, for the believer, even in this kind of, you know, passive scenario that we presently occupy, to suffer. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. There, but there is something that does bother me a little bit, and it's just me, okay? It, this is just me, and I think it's weird. I know, all right? But just listen, <laughs> okay? I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but okay. Uh, so I get to heaven, right? And the Lord assigns an angel to show me my mansion. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. You say, well, how do you know you're going to have a mansion when you get to heaven? Well, because the Bible doesn't say anything about an apartment, okay? It doesn't say anything about cottages, he said, mansion. 
So I'm assuming, based upon the authority of the Word of God, that everybody gets a mansion in heaven. So he says to this angel, he says, uh, the angel over here is going to show you your new mansion. Okay, great. So he takes me and wow, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's beyond comprehension, beyond your wildest imagination. And then I see my next door neighbor out there cutting roses, right? And he looks like a nice guy. So I'm going to go over. I'm going to meet my new neighbor. So I, I walk over and introduce myself. Hello, sir. My name is Joe Russiello. What's yours? Oh, I'm Adoniram Judson. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, what do we have in common? <laughs> you know, that's a tough one. And Adoniram says, wasn't it great to suffer for Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was real good. And then he asks, did you see a lot of people come to the Lord because of your suffering? Um... I think, you know, maybe one. You know, now sometimes God allows his people to suffer some physical maladies. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard the testimony of folks that, you know, as a result of some physical crisis, they found themselves in the hospital and, you know, and they were faithful uh, in their witness to a roommate or a doctor or a group of nurses and a, people had gotten saved. You know, you look at that and you say, well, okay. You know, that explains it right there. So suffering through the eyes of a believer has to be interpreted entirely different than through the eyes of the lost. We get an entirely different perspective of it. And that's what Paul's introducing to these baby Christians. A brand new perspective of suffering. And you know, there's always that little carnal part of it that little carnal part that says, yeah, but, and God says, all right, let me deal with the yeah, but. And here it is. The Lord's going to take care of it. He's coming with a vengeance one day, very, very soon. Let him take care of it. Let him do it. You know, all the liars, all of the politicians, and all that, you know, the chicanery and all the stuff that's been propagated over the years, the Lord will take care of it. And he will. And he will. All right, folks, uh, that's about all the time that we have for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Joe Ruscello and the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Be sure to head over to our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Send us a message, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day. Well, that's about it, really. The film ends mainly visually.